Breaking news. Oh shoot, breaking news. We're back. We're back in the house. Hello. What's up, everybody? Where are we here? Are we living in oblivion? I don't know. Nice work. You worked in the title a little too early. Ah, uh, yeah, there, it's a little too early, right? <laughs> a little too early for that. We want to hit an intro first. But uh, you are correct, Stephen. We are back here for another exciting, thrilling, cinematic episode of Cinema Discovery Project. And uh, Stephen is going to go through. Psst. I guess a little bit of changes, changes. that we're going to be having we're, on the podcast. We're, we're done not, doing the podcast. Not we're not doing the not podcast radical. anymore. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, it's sorry not, yeah, for we, the dedicated fans. Uh, we're switching from talking <laughs> about movies to talking about our favorite bait and tackle. Uh, our yeah, favorite fishing <laughs> bait and spots. Tackle. Favorite fishing spots. Favorite time of the day to go fishing. Yeah, um, um, sorry, no. That if you no, got excited right there when we said that, then sorry, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, we, you know, uh, first of all, I'm Stephen Billings. This is Andrew Cabral, as usual. Um, now, so with some, th- you know, things going on in our lives and and, and uh, some other ideas that we have. Uh, me personally, this now this came from me, and, and I, I discussed it with Andrew, and he 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 was down for for this change. Um, but we've decided, you know, um, on figuring out the best streamlined version of this podcast, we decided that. We're gonna from now on be doing what we call spotlights. We're gonna be doing spotlights every every episode now. Um, and the way we see it is, you know, the, you know, the the idea for this podcast, Cinema Discovery Project, was about discovering, you know, more cinema. You know, and I think instead of maybe you know being very broad and jumping around to different type of subject matters, it might be easier and maybe even more interesting for people. To discover new films, you know, be trying to look for films maybe you never heard of. We'll still cover stuff that maybe you have, but um, you know, finding out more about film through through the movies themselves instead of just kind of the reverse, which is d- being more broad and overviewy. And and um, you know, we're gonna try to go down that path and see how that works for us uh, for the foreseeable right. future. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a complete abandonment of the old model if anything it's an inversion of the old model where we wanted to go like uh initially you know for the last how long we've done this it's a couple almost two years i think yeah almost two years now um we've been going kind of like macro versus micro and it's like we've been going like broad subject and then we'll go in and, and then we'll like you know swoop in and go you know more detailed and more focused and now we're kind of going to go like start focus in and then and then broaden out based on that focus. So it's kind of like like starting with a tree trunk and then like building off of that versus like starting with the leaves and then getting to the tree trunk. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 going to it's be It's probably the better the better way to go. Um yeah, and in a way we'll still be able to cover what we want to cover in terms of topics in terms of um going over certain, you know, cinematic discoverable things yeah that, you know? for instance if we do you know we go and we talk about an agnes varda film in the future we can't talk about agnes varda without talking about more french new wave you know we can't you know like right. you know what you know we want to talk about you know you know one of you know good the bad and ugly you know we're gonna have to now talk about you know spaghetti westerns a little bit you know yeah it's, and then it's and then in doing instead of yeah and then we'll talk about spaghetti westerns as kind of a backdrop to giving that movie context of where it fits and all of these things. You know what I mean? Uh, And even, like you said, with Agnes Varda, 
you know, you talk about, let's say we talk about Vagabond. We'll then we'll talk yeah. about, you know, Agnes Varda and her career and, you know, where she fit the French New Wave. And then we'll talk about Vagabond. You know what yeah. I mean? So it kind of all, like, works all hand in hand connected in a, in a better, more fluent way than it was, like, going the other way, I guess. Yeah. yeah the other way felt more like, like a, like a, I would say like a film course. And yeah, the, and, yeah, I mean, you know what I mean, like a general studies film. I course? think also for like us on a personal level, level, it's it, it helps us uh, be able to zero in better on something and be able to give you a better product because we aren't professors, you know. We, you know, we 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 find that we know a, a good amount about cinema, but we don't know everything. So we don't want this to become homework for us, you know. So we right. and we still want to give you a good product. So we feel more confident in that if we can maybe just do. Take it a movie at a time, and from there learn through them movies more about film. You know, um, and uh, you know, I think that I think that though there are other podcasts that do things like this where they talk about one movie at a time, I think that you know, for us, our unique the uniqueness of our choices of movie, I think will could set us apart. Um, yeah, and what kind of organically always happens when we talk about movies is we always branch out into other directions. Yeah, yeah. Like, that happens when we're not doing a podcast. Yeah. It just organically, like, works its way in. And so it'll probably just be more uh, kind of conversational than it would be educational, like like we're telling you or educating you about something versus more like Steve and I having our normal conversations that we always do, yeah. which we should probably record because they would have made for yeah. great episodic you know podcast it, it always but, is like know. that when you're not which kind of is funny because that kind of reflects yeah. the movie we're going to talk about today there's sometimes really when, you're, when the it. camera or the you know you're not recording the best stuff comes out but um but the you know along with that that you know now that we're streamlining that and doing that change um uh we're also going to add other things I'm, I'm planning on adding more to these spotlights um which we probably won't call them spotlights anymore we'll just call them Cinema Discovery Episodes? Project episode <laughs> this this movie. Um, so we could, call, we could call them Cinematic Voyage part. Uh, I don't nah, know. Nah, I'm not going to do make that. Making up names. Right? Gonna, too too, oh, too okay. long. Too long. Shot down. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm going <laughs> I'm going to add like uh, some video uh, audio clips and stuff like that um, for certain scenes that I feel like are worth hearing. Um, you know, and probably like at the beginning, maybe the trailer or something, something like that. But. Uh, uh, you know, we're also, you know, and this is something I've somewhat discussed with with Andrew, uh, is that we're we're thinking about because um, I used to do a, a show called the Film Club Movie Show, and it was on a channel called Film Club Central, which is still got a, it's still got a channel there. Uh, we don't do much on there anymore, but we do have a subscriber base that we would like to uh, make stuff for. So we're thinking about um, starting to put our stuff, you know, because I used to do video, audio, video stuff. On a, on a Cinema Discovery Project YouTube page, and then I kind of stopped doing that. I got lazy, but I want to bring that over to the the Film Club Central page, and we'll eventually be doing video with this too. Uh, you know, um, whether you want to see us while we talk about this stuff, who knows? But it'll be an option. And then with that, um, I kind of talked with Andrew about starting another show. Um, where it's very much like a loosely like just film lovers talking about whatever they want to talk about movie wise or maybe even pop culture wise. Um, that'll be called uh, Movie Lovers Anonymous. Um, so that's out there. We're 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 working on that. That's probably going to happen soon. But um, 
yeah, uh, so tell us if you like them changes. You know, uh, we we hope you do because we're gonna do it. Um, <laughs> but um, what we're, we're what we're also gonna do is kind of go back and forth. Um, I'm gonna kind of suggest a movie, which this was my suggestion, um, and the movie we're talking about is Living in Oblivion, um, which was from 1995, and it's directed by Tom DeSilo. DeSilo. Um, and, uh, this was my suggestion. And at the end of the episode, uh, Andrew was supposed to have a movie prepared to tell me. I, did you not remember mm. me at telling you that? Well, uh, you see, you, Stephen, you did say that. And you forgot. And then I completely forgot about it. And keep in mind, he told me this less than 24 hours oh, ago. Oh, Jesus, it's my fault. <laughs> he needed no, a whole no, week saying, to think of one movie. I, to, no, I was just nah. like, well, these are important situations. Now, you don't mess around when it comes to movie choices. Okay, well, okay? I'm going to give you yeah. this episode to think about it. Uh, unless, unless you, just gonna, I'm just going to come up with anything. Yeah, just keep, I, I, I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> but um, so that's the, that's the idea is we're going to try to pitch each other a movie, um, and you know, hopefully, you know, it's stuff that the other person hasn't seen and it makes it in, more interesting. But um, with that 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 out there, um, let's go ahead and let's dive into 1995's Living in, a, in Oblivion. Lock it up. Okay, here we go. And roll sound. E. Nick Rev is making a movie. Action. He's wonderful, isn't he? It's something most of us only dream of doing. How'd you get into cinematography? No, I'm I'm directing this movie. How'd you get into directing? But for Nick. Hey, Bob! Hey, Bob! Rolling! The dream. Cut! Do I have to do everything myself here? Is becoming a nightmare. What is your name anyway? Because he's fallen in love with his leading lady. Don't you dare tell me that felt fake. Who's been waking up with his star. You and I slept together last night. So one time. Deal. You know it, I know it. Who's dating the producer. Because you're not afraid of my power. Oh, God. I love your power. Who's cheating on the cameraman. Give me a hug. Nick, I need to talk to you for a minute. What? It's pretty heavy. Which is disturbing the dwarf. Hi. Toto, is it? And confusing the crew. Which is not helping Nick. Is everybody hurt? Is anybody okay? Corey, are you alright? To have a nice day. Um, Which is a great title. Yes, it's 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 a great title. It is. Um it stars yet yeah, Steve Buscemi, which I love Steve Buscemi. Uh he a lot of times doesn't lead movies, I would say necessarily. Um yeah, a lot of times he's like a supporting cat character. He play, he pops in somewhere. Um, he was a lead, of course. In in uh, was what's the show he did? Um, oh, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Empire. He was you know got that show was very popular. Um, but uh, you know he's popped into a lot of things. I love him. Then you also got um, uh, Catherine Keener, who also yep. you know very good actress. Um, she might be most recently known for being in Get Out. She was she, she was the was. mom that was you know putting him to in these uh, you know dream yeah, states. The, I never looked at uh, a, a a cup of tea the same way. Yeah, ever yeah, yeah. It freaks me out. Now uh, she she was also in. I mean, she's been around. Oh, she's been know, around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that you know ninety five with this time frame we're talking about. It's like a lot of these actors that we know now, like you know Steve Buscemi and Catherine Keener, were kind of like making their way in their careers. Like in the they were film, starting to they the were starting world. to make their way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a, I mean, I don't mean to cut off Stephen, but 
just like contextually, this is a it's an indie film from the nineties. It's movie was only made for like five hundred thousand dollars, so super cheap by you know nineties standards and today's standards. Yeah. And yeah, Catherine Keener, she was also in Being John Malkovich, as well as the Forty Year Old Virgin. Um, yeah, I've always been a big fan of hers. She's she's a great oh, yeah. actress. Uh, you also have uh, uh, Dermont Maroney. Maloney. Yeah, uh, Dermot Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. Um, Which he kind of has and, been in a ton of stuff. Like he's, I mean, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, he's been in a lot of like he's, he's like in, the Patrick Dempsey. He's like another well of the nineties. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess uh, he's still working today. I mean, oh yeah, he still works yeah. today. Um, he he was in uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. Um, he was in Young Guns. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. Just looking at his IMDb now, it, it's a mix of a lot of um, a lot of TV, a lot of uh, similar to Steve Buscemi, a lot of TV and movie yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? Over the last, I would say, decade or so, those lines have blurred in terms of like, you know, who's who is in what realm, yeah. like people would go wherever wherever they can find work um yeah he was in about schmidt he was in um a bunch of movies and he um i don't know he's known for making kind of playing um like a bit part like a like a role like um i would say like like a romantic co-lead yeah like i said patrick dempsey some of his stuff (laughs) he's kind of he's kind of got that he usually plays serious roles but actually you know apparently you know he very seldomly would play a comedy role and he's usually really good apparently um and he was really good in this um as the yeah uh, dp the director i remember he was on he was on two i want to say two or three seasons of shameless yes the show yes he was a he was a love interest for yeah, he was one of, I mean, Emmy Rossum's many different yeah. um, boyfriends in that show. Um, that was kind of one of the run, running things. She would always have like a different room, like romantic interest, like in every season, yeah. kind of. Um, and he was he was one of them. And it was actually one of the better, more explored, deep relationships that she had on that show, which was really yeah. good. But yeah, so he's in this in a much younger form. And we have a, a small appearance by, and this is a no- you know, it's not no, a or anything. No, I mean, you, know, you no. just did that. That was not cool, you know, man. P- uh, Peter Dinklage. Um, Peter Dinklage is in the movie. Toto. Yeah, I didn't mean oh, that I'm by sorry, his stature. If anything, uh, he and I are actually relatively the same height. So really? I'm not one to talk. I didn't know that. Yeah, Peter Yeah, Peter Dinklage is four foot four, and I'm like four foot eleven. Wow. So, Steve, so I have, see, I haven't Peter met Andrew really in close. person, so I didn't know this. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, I'm sure. Okay. I'm, I'm sure. My whole family's kind of short. Gotcha. Like my mother's, my mother's four eleven. My dad's like five five. Uh-huh. My brother's probably like five six. Five, you know, my uncle's like probably like the tallest at like five eight five nine. Gotcha. Um, but my cousins are tall though. So I don't know. I don't That's know what happened. Like, <laughs> I don't know what happened. But yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Peter Dinklage has a has a as you said small part in the movie, uh, which is not a joke. Um, you know, and, and and let me go back down it again. Steve Buscemi plays the director, Nick Reeve. Um, Catherine Keener plays uh, Nicole Springer, who's the lead actress. Uh, and I said uh, uh, Dermot Maroney is is the uh, wolf, who's the DP. And then you have Peter Dinklage, who plays like a supporting a little small part in the in the in the one of the scenes in the movie. Yeah. And then you have Kevin Corgan plays the camera assistant. Yeah, people don't know who Kevin Corgan yeah. is. Um, Maybe people don't know, but I know him from being on Grounded for Life. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That sitcom from like the late '90s, early 2000s. But he's been in a bunch of stuff since. Like he keeps popping up in like Scorsese stuff. Yeah. Like he pop, like he was in like The Departed, 
and was he in the Irishman for like a second? I yeah, he was. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. he was. Yeah, he's another person who does both TV and movies. He was also in like, um, remember he he was in, um, uh, he was in Pineapple Express. Yeah, he was the he one was, of the bad guys. Was, yeah, one of the hitmen. Yeah, he was in yeah. True Romance. Um, he was also in uh, Super Bad. Yeah. Remember when the kids go to that party and it's, it's yeah yeah he was party. the he was the crazy dude that yeah beat the shit out of that guy that yeah 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 so yeah he's been in a lot of things and he's in this movie as well and he's uh isn't he like the focus puller or the he, he's the camera the he, he's like the focus puller it's you could also call him the the assistant camera you know person but yeah he's the focus yeah. puller basically I mean we should know this. we did a whole episode about different parts of different jobs yeah, probably not. yeah but basically it's his job to um basically sit right next to the camera and make sure it stays focused yeah. as which, as the different, to me as the different like, shots are happening. To, which to me sounds like the toughest job. <laughs> to be honest, it, it must be the toughest job because he's not looking through a, well, well, um, what they do a viewfinder usually, or anything. What they do usually is is they set the camera up in the spot it's supposed to start and you mark right. on the focus puller where, where you're at, where you're focused at. And then you move to the spot you're going to be at and then you mark a spot so that you know exactly where you're supposed to turn the camera, turn the, the knob right. to put yourself in focus. That's how it's supposed to be done, I think. But um, I don't typically work in manual camera stuff anyway or at this moment because I don't have that good of a camera. But um, Yeah, I mean, that's also kind of one of the, the things about this film that I guess slightly dates it a little bit is, you know, the technology they're using to um, make the movie within the movie yeah. is a little out of date. Well, sure, but um, I don't know that the movie would be nearly as interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true as well. If anything, it's a, it's um, it's both a time capsule as well as like contemporary, because a lot of this, I mean, we'll get basically the general plot of this movie is that it takes place all in one night. It's one of those kind of one night, like one location type movies, uh, and you're just seeing them try to make this movie or at least shoot a specific scene of this movie. And it goes through all of the very many complications that ensue. Yeah, I mean, it's... But the, the, it has a few little interesting ways in which it goes about showing this to us. Yeah, the, the movie is kind of set up in three parts. Um, it's three different scenes of the movie. And, you know, as you say, it's it, it does take place... It kind of takes place in one night. But it, it may be to a person that... Because the cause the, it's coming from different perspectives, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, the... I guess I don't want to reveal anything until as we, as we go through the movie, but um, right. I mean, we are of course you know we always spoil the heck out of the movies. So, so definitely if you haven't seen the movie yeah. yet. See it, see it if you don't give if you don't care. If this will give you the reason to go see the movie, then listen to us and then go watch the movie. But it's it, you know it is a very I think a very good script. Um, I think it did win um, best script at Sundance, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Let me look. Uh, the last actor I do want to bring up, who who plays the uh, the the asshole actor Chad Pal- uh-huh. Palomano, is played by James Lagroise, who for me he he was in uh, the movie um, shit. Um, what's the heist movie with Pat- uh, Patrick Swayze? Uh, uh, Point Break. He was in the original oh. Point Break. Um, he, yeah, you can just say Point Break. We don't acknowledge. The yeah, the, yeah, the remake is not didn't happen. <laughs> um, but he was part of the gang. He was part of the the presidents uh, that was with Patrick Swayze that stole. You know, that's what I remember him from. Now he's been in a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, he he was in a uh, drugstore cowboy. Yeah, the the Gus Van Sant film 
from 89 starring uh, Matt Dillon um, as well as Kelly Lynch. That's a great film. He was in a remake um, of Mildred Pierce. I didn't even know they had a remake. Of yeah, it. that was an HBO miniseries um, that they did with uh, Kate Winslet a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Kate Winslet, Guy Pierce, Evan Rachel Wood. Um, and I want to say... If memory serves, I think Todd Haynes was either a producer or director behind it. Yeah, he was. Um, no, he. Yeah, he. He. he directed Just looking the whole at series. the poster, it does look like a Todd Haynes movie. Because after seeing yeah. Carol, Carol, he did Carol, right? Yeah, yes. it looks like the the poster for Carol in a way. It does look. Like <laughs> it kind of kind of looks Carol. has an elegance to it that that has. Um, but um, yeah, I love. He's good. He's really great at playing this. You know, self-absorbed. Uh, you know, kind of prototypical what you think actors are like. Um, did you did you happen to read the um, IMDb trivia about? That? Yeah, I was gonna wait oh. till we got into it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to. I, I jumped. Yeah, in yeah. I was going to. We got into the when he, where he's introduced. But yeah. Um, so I guess with that said, uh, we went through the cast. Um, Tom DeSilla, uh, DeSilo, uh Hasn't done much that I'm familiar with. Um, Same here. Yeah, he's he very much is a very indie director. Um, and uh, his first movie was with I guess we can bring it up here. His first movie uh, was with Brad Pitt, which is where you were going. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and originally, Brad Pitt was going to play this asshole actor. Um, so that's I think that's what you were going to say, right? Yeah, I was going to say like. A- like he may or may not have based that character on Brad Pitt. He he because Brad Pitt was supposed to play that character, but he didn't end up doing it. Um, yeah, the the movie and he were, did in the first movie was Johnny Swede. Yeah, uh, he movie. did talk about that in the behind the scenes of Living in Oblivion, and okay. he said that it was not based on him. He's like, oh, okay. yeah, he you know, it it, it was he I mean, was just he gave him the, they gave him the same haircut, the same blonde <laughs> haircut and everything. Yeah, I, I, but they made him an asshole. I, I, I have no idea if Brad Pitt's an asshole. Well, it doesn't. I, no I mean, from what he's saying, he's like, no, it was not based on him. It wasn't a, you know, he was gonna play him. I mean, it wasn't. It was right. just the. He said that the the way that um that the act the guy that ended up playing him um ended up playing him was the way he decided to play him. It was he didn't Got even it. talk to him about how to play him. Um, but yeah, uh, Johnny Swade was the first movie Tom did, and uh. Apparently, it didn't get received well. Um, he said he took it to Sundance, and it and nobody like it was deflated, and the movie just evaporated basically. Um, and then he spent the next four years trying to get money to make another movie, and then it ended up being Living in Oblivion. Which, when he did a Living in, when he did it, he only shot the first thirty minutes first. Um, mm-hmm. That black and white the, for the first thirty minutes, that first scene was all that they had shot at first, and then he was talked into doing the rest. Doing the rest? Yeah. I'll say this, the first, I guess you could say first act of this film hooked me in immediately. Because yeah. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing something interesting here. So the first, um, I could say, yeah, the first third of the film, the first act of this film, first part, is all in black and white. Yeah. And you know me, I see black and white. Oh, get you. And I love it. I love, I, I, give me more black and white cinema, please. Yeah, and, and it, it was it. shot in 16 millimeter. That's what he said. Um, nice, and, nice and grainy. And nice and grainy. Um, so we open up, on, and, and, and it's cool how they do this. The transitions between the acts are you walking through doors. Like they're walking, it's like you're walking yes. into somebody's oblivion, which, you know, that's kind of what he says is this movie's about how when you're making a movie, it's like nothing else matters. You know, you're an oblivion. That's what it is. That's the only thing that's yeah. going on. Um, I mean, 
you kind of have to be. I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but like movie making in general, I mean, we'll probably get into a little bit while we're talking about the movie. It's like, it's tough. It's, 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 it's insane. Tough. It's an insane thing to have to. You got to be locked in. Locked yeah. In. And you got to hope that everybody else will be locked in too. That's yeah. the thing is you can try to do your best to be, you know, to be your best, but you got to depend on tons of other people to be their best. Um, and, and, and they could be set off by something that has nothing to do with the movie at all. Um, yeah, it's like link, like links in a chain. If one link in the chain breaks or something wrong with it, the whole thing can fall apart oh, on yeah. you. And and the, and like you said, because of the time period, this the, the technology wasn't as great. And when you're in an indie film making making a movie on almost nothing, things break down. You don't have a replacement. You know, you can't. Oh yeah. You know, like they show that in this film. Yeah, too. it shows great. you almost every bad scenario you can think of that would happen when you're trying to make a movie. You're trying to just shoot one scene. And you can't get it done because of something. But we'll get into it here. Um, so when the scene opens, you're walking through a door. And now you're in the middle of like this kind of side street. Um, and you see the there's this is the catering. Uh, and I do air quotes, catering. Um, you have this table and it has like a uh, half-eaten donut on it. Um, yeah, so Oreos. <laughs> and then you see this girl and she's like, you know, doing some stuff. And the guy comes up to her and is like, smells the milk and says is the milk bad it's like i don't know let me smell it and she's like i don't know i and should should i go get more milk is it bad you know like she she's like are you why are you asking me this if it's bad go get more milk but he doesn't want to go down the street and get the milk (laughs) so he's just like i guess it's not that bad (laughs) yeah and we also um our like our lead actress Catherine keener is getting uh picked up to be brought to set right well, it, it, yeah, yeah. She it's just her. Um, she gets picked up by this random. I guess he's just the supposed to. He's getting he's getting paid to transport the actors. I I'm, guess. I'm getting, I think it's the PA, like the production assistant. I guess cause that's that's type of PA stuff. Like, the thing is, is you, you don't know, ever see him in any any stuff. other part of the movie other than picking up people. Um, you see him. I think you see him in the third act. Does he come in in the third act somewhere? Yeah, I thought I thought that was I him. Don't know. But yeah, it was because because she's like because he remarks like, oh, yeah, it's the you know, you're doing this scene this day today. And she's like, oh, did you read the script? He's like, oh, no, I just I saw the call sheet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she's getting picked up as well as her. Uh, the person she's doing a scene with is getting picked up as well. Yeah. her The one and playing it, the mother and um, the one playing the mother in the scene. And so one of the main things that gets brought up throughout the whole movie is that uh, Catherine Keener's character, Nicole, had done a movie with Richard Gere where she was in in a shower scene and it gets brought up all right. the time and it's kind of playing into that thing of like you know you know one one thing can break an actor and get them into something else and you know it can be what they're known for but but it's hard as an actor to break out of stuff like that you know like you know right. they want to be more than that but people only see them as that thing um so you know she's trying you know she has an actual connection to this character you know she has issues with her mother in real life and so this scene today is like really important to her to get right. So she's like, yeah, she's going to tap into her own personal life yeah. to, for this scene. Um, and so they, they, they go to set together and, and they're going to shoot this very emotional scene together where she's playing like kind of where someone who was abused by her father, like, like physically beat yeah. up and the mother is going to be like in denial about it. And it's going to be a really like, you know, emotional scene. 
and complications just keep happening. Yeah, so they keep having to cut. Yeah, I was gonna say I can uh, I can go yeah. through the, the the events here. I got them all written do. down here. So they get the si- see. I don't write down anything. Steven's the man prepared. Yeah, I'm I'm a little prepared for this one. So, uh, so when they get everything set up. You know, you're, you're you know as a director, you know you're building up your actors. You're talking to your actors and say, hey, you know, don't think, just do it. You know, so they what happens is, and, and this is what they kind of do throughout the movie. They flip flop, but when the when you when they say he says action and we see through, I guess what the camera sees, it turns to color. Um, and, and the director, Tom DeCillo said that the reason he did that is because that's how he sees movies when he's directing is that he sees oh. it as this big bright thing. You know, like it's paradise. It's, it's what it, the final, so he already sees it in his mind. And so and that, I loved that aspect yeah. of it. I loved, I like, I was like, is the whole movie going to be like this? Cause that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't end up being all like that. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, <laughs> But just like just to see that and be like, wow, that's really ingenious. Yeah. Like, that's a really cool stylistic thing to do. Like the real, it, it like the real world's in black and white, and the movie world, which is you know the fictitious world, is the one that's multi. You know, it's it's colored. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's all kind of colors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but go on, Steve. But yeah, so the first the first you know you know take is going, and what's the first bad thing that happens? Well, the uh, the 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 mic operator doesn't have the frame line and right he, he he his mic sneaks into the frame so they have to cut and so you know they're like well we need a frame line you know so so they, they fix it again and they do it again and uh, now the focus puller doesn't have his he didn't have the timing right and so it goes out of focus and you're like oh fuck and then the the, the production assistant <laughs> makes a joke like you're gonna get it right you'll never work in this town again you know like you know like shit like that you know they, they threaten each other it's funny um and then they're about to take their third t- take, and it's going well. And then suddenly, street noise. There's a dude coming oh, down the road, man. and there's like, because they're like I said, they're like on like a side street, but cars can get, cars are not supposed to be coming through because it's like a closed set area. They're supposed to have the, the right. two sides closed off, but for some reason, a car got down there, and they had to cut, stop the cut, and um, and uh, so then you know they're all like yelling at somebody on the you know um, walkie-talkies, like shut up, you know, are they got this down? You know, is it a closed street? Yeah, it's- you know. It's crazy because like they have they have like people outside like they got to check with them. Hey, are there cars coming? Is there an airplane coming? Is there a helicopter? Is are people gonna be walking by? You know what I mean? Like a, like there's gotta be like a chain of command in film production to get things just set up, let alone getting a scene right. And the film does a freaking fantastic job of showing the complications behind. Well, all there's this. yeah, and, and, like and Steven said, it shows like, you the takes, machine like the way it is. I mean, you start out and you know what's in, and what sucks. Is that the takes that they're doing are actually good takes? At least you know what I what, mean. And they just get screwed. Yeah. Up. What it shows is is the more you make your, especially your actors, the more you make them have to redo things over and over again. They start to get exhausted, and they start to lose focus. Um, and you start to see that less passion is being put into what they're doing. So um, then, after the street noise, then the mic operator once again <laughs> doesn't get his frame in line right. And he's like, "Well, it." It's like you keep moving the cameras. Like that's that's the shot. You should know this. Yeah, it's like, what are you talking about? So then they decide that they're gonna use, you know, what we would call lavalier mics. Uh, you know, they yeah. they call them radio mics. And so they take a break and they switch to radio mics so that the mics are on the actors so that, and they're hidden behind their hair and you won't be able to see them. Um, right, like underneath the clothes and stuff and yeah, and all kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure they use those a lot more in like bigger productions now than boom mics. Yeah. I feel like boom mics now are used in like 
a smaller productions. Yeah, it just it really just t- know. depends on the scene that you need. I, yeah, I guess it, I guess it does depend on the scene location and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but like I remember, I mean, years ago when I when I was assisting my buddy making his his short film, uh, we had a boom mic operator and stuff. Yeah, and we were able. We never had any of that that boom mic problems, so <laughs> it worked out. He well. obviously was probably just somebody that wasn't really that experienced and was just there to hold he didn't think much of it but uh well yeah i think he was kind of like an audio an audio tech guy anyway so he kind of he was actually him who had suggested all the equipment and like how to like put all the 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 you know the sd cards and the digital recorder and all that kind of stuff together and then he i guess he he used the boom mic um he knew where he knew where to put it yeah i think that's the most important part when it comes to mic comes to audio stuff is to knowing where to put the microphones to capture the best audio because like if your audio screwed up it's not going to matter how great the acting is. Yeah, yeah. It, it shows you how much each job matters. You know, um, you might think it's easy from a distance, but it's not. It's this show. This movie shows you that everybody has a, a part to play, and if it isn't playing all right at the same time, then it can mess up everything. Um, that's why filmmaking, I think, is one of the hardest yet one of the like all around best forms of art. You know, for mm. me uh, personally, right. I mean, we love it. Yeah, so yeah we we're love. Biased. Yeah, we, we're biased. Yeah. <laughs> but so they, 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 you know, he talks. You know, Steve Buscemi talks to the actors between you know trying to get them to settle down, and um, so then they take a net. They t- they do another take, and now the light bulb busts on them in the oh, middle of the yeah. take, and it's like you're holy shit! Like what the fuck happened? So then. In between, in between that time, they're trying to, you know, now the PA uh, is trying to convince uh, Buscemi to change the scene, like to do a cut, which is, you know, I think something that's important to think about in this movie because right. I think one of the main themes of this movie is is that in indie filmmaking, and this is one of the lines, is that you have to roll with it. You know, in filmmaking, especially at this level, you have to roll with things. And sometimes the thing that you envisioned creatively isn't going to work out. Um, and so she's trying to convince him that, hey, instead of doing this all in one shot, let's cut this up. You know, we got some good. Yeah, basically, you know, we, yeah, we did half, like half of it's already shot and it's good. We can use one of those takes yeah. and then we'll just do the rest of the scene. And then from that best take, we'll just match them up. Yeah. And I mean, that happens in filmmaking oh, all the yeah. time. I mean, I, I do that. Like people do that on YouTube all the time. Oh, I've yeah. done that. You know what I mean? I you know do it all the time. Um, it's it's just like it's an easy way to like kind of you know make things easier on you if you can't get it all in one take. And after a certain amount of takes, you just get so frustrated. You're like, there's got to be an easier way to yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. So they're gonna match them up. So they're gonna go from a certain a certain line, and then they're gonna go forward from that line and then match them up. Um, but of course, complications ensue. Yeah. So. You know, after the that, you know, that she, you know, Steve Buscemi decides, you know, that's the shot that they he's planned on, and that's what he wants to do. So he, he says, "That's what we're doing." So they continue to do that, and now they're back to about to shoot another take, and now the the, the actress that's playing the mother suddenly forgets her line, uh, her line that she has said many times before. She suddenly just forgets it, um, and uh, I love that. There's a moment where you know. Uh, the focus puller uh, makes a joke and kind of like says, you know, says the line, you know, um, I, 
She's like, I don't remember this ever happening. She says something like that. And then he's like, I don't ever remember my line ever happening. He, he says something that kind of mocks it. And it was pretty funny. But um, so, you know, now he decides, you know, and, and, and Steve Buscemi being is now kind of his patience is being pushed. He says, we're going to run the fucking lines. Like he says it in like a really mean way. He's like, we're going to take a break and we're going to run these fucking lines. We're going to do the scene. You know, like. Yeah, basically like impromptu practice. Yeah, like yeah. Like impromptu um, um Rehearsal. Rehearsal, yeah. yeah. So everybody kind of like the crew kind of stops and suddenly, you know, so now it's just the actors sitting beside each other running the scene. And Buscemi, and of course, then this is what we were kind of hinting to earlier. Um, so they start doing it and she, you know, the mother, the actress that playing the mother touches her hair and it like triggers a, an emotion um, within uh, Catherine Keener's character and it makes her snap into what she was trying to do from the beginning. And they end up doing this scene beautifully. And you see Steve Buscemi, and he's just like, like, this is it. Like, and he, like, turns to the focus puller. He's like, where's the DP? And he's like, he's not he's not there. He's like, because he was like, we should just shoot this while they're not thinking about it. They don't know we're shooting them. And unfortunately, Wolf, the DP, is throwing up in the bathroom because he'd had that coffee with some milk in it that was bad. And now he's throwing up. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the yeah they run the scene like Steve said, and it's amazing. Yeah. Like it's it blows all the other takes out of the water. It's emotional. It's just like this. It's amazing, and the camera's not yeah. going. The camera's not going, yeah. and it's like, damn, damn. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, and then you're like, you know what? We're and then he just like snaps. He's like, look, let's, this is it. This is the last time. This is gonna be it. This is gonna be the one. We're gonna do this, and then he gets everybody together, and they're gonna do it, and then suddenly there's a beeping noise. Not me. It's a camera. Fuck it is. It's off. It wasn't even running, dick glass. What is going on down there? Do I have a lockup? Nothing. You don't hear a beeping sound. The street's quiet. What the fuck is it? It's somebody's watch. It's not mine. It's not mine. Not mine. Okay, where is it? Sucking motherfucking bastard, where are you? Take a walk, Les. Go get coffee and don't come back, all right? Guys, sit no food on Where are you? Somebody help me, please! Huh? Do I have to do everything myself here? Hey, Cora, why don't you go learn your lines, Cora? Hey, script! How about paying attention a little bit there, okay? Hey, hey, focus puller, I got some good tie stick. You wanna go fucking smoke one, or you wanna pay attention here? What are you laughing at, wolf? You fucking pretentious beret-wearing motherfucker. Hey, I saw your real man, it sucked. Fuck would hire you anyway. Hey, Bob! Hey, Bob! Can you make a little noise on the fucking dolly? Huh? You creaky motherfucker! Wanda, next time can you wear a shirt that's a little bit more distracting to my actors? What is your name anyway? What do you fucking do around here? Hey, Speedo, you can't find a little fucking beat? Huh? You see what I fucking have to deal with here, Nicole? Maybe do some of that magic on camera? No, no, wait till fucking Wolf is puking his guts out. Oh, now I'll be good. And they do not know where it's coming from. They're running around, and this is where Steve Buscemi goes freaking nuts. And right, he starts, he starts tearing up the set. Oh, he starts tearing up the set. Um, 
And and apparently a lot of this was improved um, by Steve Buscemi. Um, they like the all the reaction shots was all the actual improved parts, and then they went back and shot him the other way, just doing it again. But like it, it's hilarious. Some of the insults and some of the things he just insults everybody in the room, and he cannot find out where this beeping sounds coming from. And then suddenly, and this is where it kind of it kind of you know pulls the 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 sheets you know pulls the wool back and it it was a dream the whole time um yeah steve bujemi was is in his bed and he's dreaming it's now in uh, the, he's in color you know he's in his bed and he's like damn you know like wow you know he's he having a stress dream um, right and and the uh, the noise he was hearing was his alarm clock yeah yeah so i i think that this first part this kind of first act here is about the, it's obviously about directors, the director's point of view on making a movie like this. It's the director's anxiety. Um, I think, honestly, this is about filmmaking in general, but I think specifically he hones in on director's point of view on the first part. Um, and then uh, we jump into the second part, um, which continues to be in color. And um, then you see... Uh, the star, the, the the Chad Palomano, um, has just got came out of the shower, and apparently him and some girl have just you know had sex. Um, and if you don't under you don't hear the voice, it ends up and you end up seeing it by the end of the scene. It ends up being uh, Catherine Keener's character. So Catherine Keener has now slept with the who the major star is that's going to make his way into the movie. He's apparently done some major movies with some big actors. He talks about it in a scene a little bit later with Steve Buscemi where he's played in a movie with uh, Winona Ryder where he plays a killer, you know, (laughs) that falls in love with Winona Ryder. And, you know, just like bullshit movies that don't actually exist. But, um, you know, so... she She's kind of reeling over the fact that she just... So she... Yeah, she... Yeah, so... That has actually happened many times in movie making in general, oh, yeah. where like lead actor or lead actress or actor or actress or whatever end up having some type of romantic uh, dalliance during, during for the whatever making of reason. The movie. You know, I mean, it happens with director and lead actress, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, that's kind of maybe touching on that a little bit, oh, yeah. and also touching upon how it's going to affect the movie making process, which it does. Yes later on um and that seems to be a problem in movie making in general like per, uh, people's personal um feelings towards another or personal relationships can impact the the movie making process even if it's not romantically entangled like people can just straight up hate each other oh yeah and not be able to work with one another and some, you know, and some can stories some, about some, that. some can work past it and they don't you know so it, you know they look at this as more of a job than and they don't get that invested, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, so you get, you get, you know, you get that scene with, uh, her and she kind of like, it's like, oh, oh my God, what did I do? You know, like, eh, that was gonna, that's gonna fuck shit up. Um, even though she, right, then, even though she makes it clear that this was not, there's no strings attached. This was just for fun, you know? Right. Um, and you also see that other people on the production have romantic entanglements as well. The, um. You know the assistant. The, the, the I, I she's the what her... she's the production assistant. But you think she's the PA? Yeah, or... I was gonna say AD, like, but I, maybe not. I think she's the pro- director, but I don't think. I think so. she's the production assistant. She's the one that kind of like makes sure everything's in line. 
Um, right. And then so she, yeah, she she has a romantic entanglement with um, Wolf. Is it the, Wolf? The D- yeah, with Wolf. Yeah, Wolf the DP. Yeah, yeah. the DP. So you kind of get some of that. You see a scene with them, and she's kind of like talking about how she's going to go to a jazz club later um, to meet with uh, the uh, Chad. Um, which so you you get this idea that Chad's, you know, he's just an asshole that's just going to sleep with one. Oh yeah, he's just he's just taking his chance at every woman he can. Um, and then there's a scene oh. that when we get to set, um, and uh, no, before I get there. Uh, before the end of that scene, she accidentally bumps into Wolf and like hurts his eye, and you can tell oh, that yes. it, you can tell that nothing actually happened. That he just wanted his like attention back on himself. He's like, "Oh, you got my." It's like I think it's a, uh, uh, you know, like so. Yeah, it really hurts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, to care about me and not about Chad, you know. Right. <laughs> but he's looking for some sympathy. Yeah. But then it goes back to the set, and there's a scene that I think is really fun that, um kind of comes back up again later in the movie but you see um the i guess he's a grip you know he's one of the guys that is help helps on the set he might be one of the grips or something and the, um, the focus puller guy and they're talking about it he's talking about a movie that a script he's written and i think that that's fun because you know a lot of these people that are in on these crews and are in the film industry wanted to be more than where they're at I think right. that that's an interesting aspect to go into is that even the guy that's the PA or, you know, they want to be the director. They want to be this. They have more ambition than you would think that they have, even though they're just doing maybe something very small within the production. So you see him talking about he has the script. And he's going to he's going to pitch it to Chad and Chad would be perfect. They're going to get a big star on this and gonna get it sold. Um, so I thought that that was a fun scene, like showing that kind of like aspect of that these people have their interests too. Yeah, sure. Everybody starts out somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got to get your foot in the door somewhere. And yeah, he's going to like pitch it to him and he's like, he's talking about like, oh yeah, it's a great script. You know, he's definitely, you know, I'm going to make a, you know, aggressive pitch. He's definitely going to go for it. He has a very, um, uh, naive, hopeful optimism, but I guess, I mean, that's where you start out hopeful, at. It's literally how everybody is. Um, yeah. Until they get yeah. there. So, <laughs> yeah. And then dreams being crushed and all that and then kind you, of stuff. Yeah, you, you, you hate everybody and yeah. No, I'm not talking about myself. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but then so now we're getting ready to get into filming. Um, but before that, uh, uh, finally, um, uh, Nicole shows up and she's getting ready. And apparently, she has bags under her eyes. And apparently, Preparation H is good for bags under your eyes. Um, that's what that's what the I guess yeah, makeup guy says. That's what they're. De- that's what they're dabbing on. Yeah, dabbing preparation H under eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, then Steve Buscemi and her have a little bit of a conversation. She tries to pretend that she didn't. She she was supposed to show up in the car to get picked up, but she never did. She took a taxi. Um, she was really trying to hide the fact that she was with Chad. So you know, so you know, there there's a little scene there that kind of goes over that, and and that maybe both of them kind of have a thing for each other, somewhat. Yeah, there's a there's. A- I mean, later on, like they 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 have um, not a past relationship, but they know each other. They're well, like, they're friends. Uh, they know friends, they're definitely yeah. definitely friends. They, they that's why part of the reason he bring puts her in the movie is because she knows her. He knows her and and you know believes in her. Um, and just yeah, so they're they're acquaintances, and you know maybe there's a little bit of a a crush there. Um, 
So they this next scene is supposed to be like a romantic scene um, with Chad and uh, and so this really I, I would say this section is really about how um, about dealing with actors. I mean, it's really more about that process of of a director's um, you know job, which is really kind of maybe the most important. Um, it's kind of their main job, honestly, because, I mean, you can get a DP to, to make your movie look beautiful. Um, but dealing with the actors and getting the performances is really kind of their main job. And this this whole section kind of deals with how bad it can go. Like, yeah, where the actors who, you know, to me, acting, they think about this whole process differently. A lot of times actors want to be spontaneous. You know, actors work in a more spontaneous way. Um, they want to be more in the moment when filmmakers a lot of times are about a process. They need it to be in a certain way. They have a script. Let's stick to that script. Or they have something planned. They have a shot planned. This is the way it goes. And we don't have yeah, we mean, don't have time, especially in an indie movie, to change things on the day. Right. Um, you also don't have like the crew to change things, the time, the money, any of that stuff. And... It usually, I mean, it really all depends on the director. It all depends on the actor. It all depends on, you know, the relationship between the two. But, I mean, some directors, like, uh, welcome, you know, improvisation, spontaneity, changing things up. Some directors are like, no, like, the script is the Bible. You yeah. have to abide by it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, for instance, it's, like, somebody like Terrence Malick, especially over the uh, recent years. He has no script. He, he no doesn't script have a script. script. I mean, he, he just takes <laughs> shit and goes out and films people doing stuff. I, I'll say that some of his movies clearly don't have a script, and if they do, he doesn't abide by He doesn't by abide by them, yeah. He probably has some sort of, you know, um, treatment of sorts um, where it's, it's you know, you have a story that he, he's trying to follow or certain events that you follow, but the actions that get you through there are all fucking made up. Um. <laughs> yeah, all, well, his movies are all made in the editing room, as, as all movies are, but his especially. Yeah. Um, I, and then I would say, like, maybe the opposite of um, Malik would be more like... I've heard that Tarantino, his script... Oh, I'm sure really his script is Bible. Go, yeah. His script is Bible. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty, I mean, his movies are heavily... Uh, dialogue driven, so you know the script yeah. probably needs to be abided by pretty. I, I, I think there is a certain he leaves a certain amount of room for some improvisation, but but for the most part, he wants you to do it the way it is, and and yeah, the, and the actors had... want to do it the way it is because it's usually fucking good. Um. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you and like you were talking about like actors doing so many takes and getting frustrated. You know, one of my favorites of all time is Stanley Kubrick. Oh yeah, and he is notorious for doing like yeah. over a hundred takes. Yeah. Like. He made that poor boy who played Danny Torrance in in The Shining do like 120 something takes in that that scene that he has with uh, with uh, with Doc. Yeah, yeah. Apparently they did like 120 something takes. And it's I like, can't even damn. imagine. I can't even damn. imagine. And then David Fincher's another one. Yeah, Fincher. Yeah. That famous. There's that famous scene. Like not famous scene. There's one of those scenes in um in uh, Zodiac where Jake Gyllenhaal just like throws a a folder on like a car seat and he made him do it so many times to get it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he made him do it like over and over again. Like, yeah, read up on that. I mean, apparently I think Robert Downey Jr. hated working with him or something. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah. It was I could see that. Very, I could see that. Apparently he's a perfectionist too. Yeah. Yeah. There, like I said, there are some that are perfectionists, some that aren't. Yeah. It can clash. Um, you can clash with your actors and your directors and it happens. Like I said, this movie really brings that all out to the forefront and really shows you that. So, 
one of the first things that happens before the shooting starts is is that uh, Chad notices that the DP Wolf has an eye patch now. An eye patch. Yeah, which is hilarious. Um, and then suddenly Chad's like, I think my character should have an eye patch. <laughs> and it's like, and they're, that's yeah. they're just like, um, I don't think I don't think that's gonna work. Let me think about that one. <laughs> and uh, so so they you know they start doing the scene. And um, they get through it, and it just doesn't work it by the end. Like, like Chad's not hitting his cues properly, um, and then like the kiss at the end's like not working. Like it looks, it doesn't look romantic at all. Um, and so that you know they keep you know let's do it again. And so Chad now suddenly like you know I don't I don't think I should come around the bed. I think I should jump on the bed, fall on the bed. You know, like the thing is, is when you do that, now you have to change the lighting. And then now yeah. you also have to change how the camera, where the camera. I mean, if the camera stays in the same spot, are you both going to properly be? It's what we call blocking. Yeah, you, you, know, yeah. you have to have the proper blocking uh, where the camera knows where to be to stay in focus. This is why all this stuff has to be, you know, prepared. It's not easy to do it on the on the moment um, and do it right. Um, you could get all you know gung ho and and do like you know, handheld style and everything and stay with everything, but then you don't get that steadiness that a lot of filmmakers love you know um, yeah Buscemi's character wants to use dolly shots constantly he wants to always use you know dollies and he wants to use the, you know he doesn't want to go handheld he doesn't want to go gorilla style um, he wants to do this as professionally as possible um, so finally you know Chad decides you know it, so they try to do the scene the way he likes it where he jumps on the bed and so you can't even see his his half his face is cut off um her face, she's got turned all the way to the left, and you can't see her face now. So it's it's not working. Um, and so from there, now, I think at this point... Well, then, yeah, well, then he tries to improv where he starts, like, like groping her face and, like... Well, no, well, what and happens stuff. next is he suggest, he actually suggests a good idea, at least a good idea to Steve Buscemi's character. He suggests that, you know... Because one of her lines is that I've I've admired you from afar, and so he's like, "What if instead of her being up in the front, I'm up in the front?" Which is, and of course, it's going to put the focus on him, though it's not. The scene's more about her. Um, so he's up front, and then she's up from the, in the back, and she comes around to him, and he's like, "You know what? That is a good <laughs> no." Which I think, though, it's kind of a funny thing. It also shows you that. When you do collaborate with your actors, it doesn't mean that all their ideas are bad. Right. Um, so they decide, hey, let's redo the scene. Let's reset up the scene to do this, that he's his idea. So now Chad, of course, has got a big head. He's like, yeah, of course my idea is great. You know? So they're all off and they're all doing their thing. I think uh, a couple of the you – know, he hits on another one of the – I think it's the, um, the scribe, the girl that has the script. I can't think of her what the job is. The, the girl that um, – has the script and, and can, oh. um, Oh yeah. The, well, I'll look it up while you're talking. But, but um, they're over there and they're, they're at the break area and they're getting coffee and stuff. And, you know, they're talking about how hot Chad is and, and that yeah, they're going to yeah. go out with him to a, both of them are going to be going to a jazz club letter. And then, uh, Catherine Keener makes a joke about him, you know, because she knows he's an asshole. And, um, so during the, the whole, this whole all happening, Sudden, I think uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I think it's called the script supervisor. The script supervisor, that's it. That's it. I think it's, that's the person to make sure, like you know, um, you know, that each scene is. I think like to mark. It's about continuity. It's about certain continuities and cue marks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so 
from there, so now we're going, we're getting ready to shoot again. And suddenly Wolf is realizing he doesn't know where his eye patch is, you know, and, he, <laughs> and then you look back and Chad now has the eye patch on <laughs> and he gets so super pissed off about it because he know you know, cause he knows that Chad is going after his lady. You know, he's with that PA, uh, her name's Wanda, by the way. And, um, so he's, oh, he just is just pissed off the whole day. Um, and he's just like, that's my goddamn eye patch. I don't want anybody, it's unsanitary for anybody else to wear that, you know? And so, you know, but Chad's like, really like, I have to have the eye patch. It's meant to be. So he gives him his eye patch back, but then he says he wants somebody to go get him one. So then now they have he's to, like, I'll, I'll pay for I'll it. I'll pay for Paul it. So they I'll have to stop and wait for them to get in my eye patch, though they're not going to do it. Like it's not happening. Right. Um, so now they get back into the scene and now, um, you know, they're doing it. And as you said, you were saying he's doing the scene and he's starting to grope her hair, like in this really weird way. It's like distracting, you know? And she like, just, yeah, it's not even affectionate. It's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. And, uh, so she put, you know, like she can't stand it anymore. She just pushes him off and they had to stop the scene. And, this is where Chad just blows his top. And it's like, I can't work with her, you know, like he's, you know, and you know, this is where the director has, you know, he, for him, he, he's feeling the need to, to, to make sure the actor doesn't run off the set. You know, he needs to get this done. And so he takes Chad to the side and they had this conversation. And unfortunately for him, Catherine Keener decides to listen to the audio from that scene. And, he overhears their conversation through the mic when, when she's done listening to the playback and Steve Buscemi to appease Chad says that Catherine Keener's character isn't the greatest actor. Um, mm. so she overhears him, you know, kind of bad mouth her. Um, this is of course, you know, upsets her. And when they do the scene again on the next take, um, she just, it's like, hey, you know, I want I want to be loose like Chad is. Let me let me be spontaneous, you know. Let's just improv this a little bit more and, and see how it goes. So then she basically just tells off Chad in the middle of the scene that he's this asshole and, you know. Yeah. What's interesting is that uh, Buscemi like keeps he's like he's like Chad's like like do I continue with the scene? <laughs> Buscemi's like he's just behind. He's just like yeah, keep going, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and he he makes the motion with his hands and his eye, you know, the Buscemi eyes. Yeah, are so yeah, wide. yeah. He goes yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the scene, of course, you know, falls apart because Catherine Keener just says, like, yeah, I heard what you just said. And, like, well, yeah, she she, she just blatantly says, you know, the only reason this isn't working is because we slept together, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, it turns into her him almost attacking her. And then Buscemi has to, st- you know, well, the, him and Buscemi get into it first. And then he punches Buscemi in the stomach and Buscemi falls to the ground. And then Catherine Keener jumps on him and goes crazy on him. And then. Then the DP Wolf comes up and is, is trying to do something. Then he gets knocked out. <laughs> you thought maybe he was going to be able to do something, and nope, Chad just knocks him out cold. And then, uh, then uh, finally Buscemi gets back up and then just chokes him out. Um, and it's hilarious because then now Chad has this like cartoonish look on his face, like the whole time he's been choked out and he's passed out. He's just like tongue out, you know. And so they they just get rid of him. They just put him in a taxi, and and as he's getting put in a taxi, the 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 grip guy gives him a script and is like, "Hey, this is script. You would be perfect for it." I you know I'm telling you. Know, he gives it to him and he says, "You know, see you." You know, and that's it. You know, he he leaves, and uh, I think as the scene is ending, uh, Steve Buscemi's character, um, like he talks with Captain Peter's yeah. character, and 
and he says he basically conf- confesses his you know true feelings to her and he's like why do you think i wrote this script like this because it's really about you and then they share this i guess you could say romantic kiss and then scene change she snaps out it, and yeah, now, and then now, now, now it, we find out that this whole scene, this whole act, was from Catherine Keener's hurt. She was having a dream. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> one thing I meant to bring up during the um, during the uh, Buscemi uh, and uh, Chad and Chad's the fight with Chad. I love the line where he's like, "Only reason I'm doing this movie is because I heard you were tight with Quentin Tarantino." <laughs> yeah, I got that reference. <laughs> I was like, hilarious. <laughs> and it's crazy coincidence because Steve Buscemi was in Reservoir Dogs yeah. directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So technically, Steve Buscemi is tight with Tarantino. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that, you know, like you said, Keener wakes up in bed. It kind of sets us back to the, the beginning of that whole scene where she wakes up after having sex with um, Chad. So, she... But, he, but he's not there? Well, this is after it, he's left. See, I thought... Do you? Th- I you think, think it still, still happened. happened. I think it still happened. I don't know. I thought that was, that or, or maybe the... it didn't happen. Uh, I thought that was part of the dream too. Yeah, maybe it is. But she wakes up there, and she, and she wakes up wherever but she, she wakes is, up the same whatever way hotel she, room. In that, the way it was. I mean, I guess she sleeps naked like that. I guess. I mean, people do. I mean, but she was about to do. jump in the shower, so that that, right. that you know that's probably the reason. So, but she was naked there, and she jumps in the shower, and that's how it transitions now to the. This would be the final act. Uh, the third, the, the, and and. Um, to me, this and what's interesting about this is this whole this last scene is them shooting a dream scene. What's cool about it is is the first two acts were actual dreams. That's yeah. what's interesting, you know. And it and we forgot to say the second act um, is in color. Yeah, but yeah. when they shoot the scenes, they're in black and white. Yeah. So so it's a reversal. Of I'm the not first really act. sure what the meaning of that is. Um. I mean, you could definitely just say what we said about the first part and you know, turn it around, you know, the real world is, is multi, um, you know, colorful and real and, you know, so many different facets to it while the movie world is the fake world, you know, therefore it's in, in much simpler terms, black and sure. white, you know, yeah. light and dark, you know, things like that. I guess you could say that. And then this third act, um, it's just all in I color. It, it's just all in color. So I'm, I'm under the assumption that the third act of this movie is the quote reality of where these people live in yeah like this is their real oh world. yeah this is the movie this is really the movie being shot finally well the first two parts were like dream parts um and the reason i say that just because they don't ever reference what happens in the first two parts no, you no know they don't I mean? necessarily reference um that that stuff actually happened because chad's still in the movie in the third part yeah, but he's not. He's not he's in, not in, the, in scene. the third part. They just mentioned that he's oh he's off sick, so he can't he can't be on set today. So we're gonna shoot a scene, the scenes without him, the scenes that he's not in. Yeah. So in this dream sequence, we this is where we're introduced to uh, um, Peter Dinklage, and uh, so the focus puller he 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 just open go he has to go take a piss or something, and he jumps into the, and there he is Peter Dinklage um, trying to use the bathroom. Um, though he can't see himself in the... He's trying to use the Mary, and there's no step stool, which he he tells uh, Steve Buscemi later, uh, make sure you have one in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he, you know, Peter Dinklage gives him a, you know, mouthful and says, you know, knock, you know. And, uh, you know, you know how Peter... D- Dinklage is so good at being angry. Uh, I love his angry uh, scenes in anything he does. Um, but, so, you know, he walks off, and... Um, 
then we get um, Steve Buscemi talking talking with Wolf about the shot, and you know once again as you, we said earlier, um, Buscemi uh, Nick I'll call him by his character name Nick um, wants to do this once again on you know a dolly he wants to keep it all on on, on there and but now finally Wolf is like hey I want to I think handheld like would work better for this you know and he keeps bringing it up and he, you know he's also upset because just before they've done this the wanda who he's had this relationship with is has broken up with him um and they, they do it in a very professional way he's saying he's okay and they can still be friends but ultimately he's upset um and so he's he's just getting you know very you know petty and and uh so now Steve Buscemi and him have to have a kind of an aside, and uh, you know he tells him you know he's going through personal problems and stuff. And this is where that line comes in I was talking about, where he says, you know, I've learned through this whole experience that, you know, you just have to roll with stuff. You know, like that's how it is with filmmaking. You you just you can't everything's not going to be the way you expect it. You just got to roll with some th- things sometimes. And I think that that is kind of the the moment of the movie for me that really encapsulates the movie um, is just though you have to roll with it line. Um, and um, so now, and now this gets into an interesting thing and I, and I, and I never thought about it until they get into it with this scene, but how apparently during this time period, dwarves were used in dream sequences a lot. Uh, and it's nothing I really thought about until it was brought up in this movie. And I'm like, you know what? I feel like I have seen that in dream sequences before. Um, I think there's one in a Adam Sandler movie. I think it was uh, Billy Madison, maybe that has like a like a dwarf in a scene where he's having like a oh, daydream. Wait, oh yeah, w- when he goes to his happy place. Yeah, when he goes to his happy place, and it's like, why is that there? Why is there? Oh, it's a, it, it's in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, oh Happy Gilmore. The there one. it is. There it is. Yeah, and because to center himself, he has to go to his happy place yeah. in order to to be a better golfer. Yeah. So uh, apparently that was a thing, and so you know. Also, in this movie that he's making, he you got Catherine Keener, who's in a wedding dress, who's having like this an anxiety dream, um, and this dwarf comes in with an apple in her hand and circles her and says, and she keeps saying, I, "I'm so hungry," I, I'm so, you know, and it's like, what the fuck, you know? But you know, it's a dream sequence. They're supposed to be weird, and so you apparently need to have a dwarf in it. <laughs> we get into more of that later, but. So, and, and all, you know, Nick wants the dwarf to do is to circle her and, and then give a laugh. And he's not, and, and his name's Tito, but Catherine Keener yeah. keeps calling him Toto. Uh, yeah, they keep they, they keep calling him Toto. Well, she does, not anybody else, but she keeps calling him Toto. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and the whole laughing thing is uh, Buscemi's character, Nick, is not giving him any direction. Like, how do you want him to laugh? Like... Is it supposed to be maniacal? Is it supposed to be happy? Is well, he keeps giving him direction, but he loud? just doesn't. He just. It's, I think because he just knows that this whole idea of him doing this character is bullshit. He just isn't listening at all. Um, he feels kind of. Uh, well, you, yeah, he's kind of a prop. Well, he, and yeah. if you know, if you notice, like she doesn't even like she's not even seeing him in the scene itself. Yeah. There's a whole thing where, like, it, it to her, the apple is just in, is just floating there, but he's also in the scene as well. But her character in within that scene doesn't doesn't know that he's there, like doesn't see him. And I'm like, 
then why is he is he just being used to to hold an apple and, and go around her i mean it's like you said like it is commenting on the whole idea of like using you know someone uh, with dwarfism as as a prop you know what yeah. i mean as as something for a dream sequence and also apparently dream sequences have to have fog in them yeah which is a whole thing too they had this like beaten up old fog machine Fo- yeah and they don't even know how to use it pro- like they're like does the oil go in there or does gasoline go in there like do we put both in there i don't know i mean I don't... yeah and it's like <clears throat> like they, they they only getting a little bit of fog out and 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 then he's complaining. He's like, "Wait, but don't we have more? We need more fog in this. It's a, it's a dream sequence. Yeah, you have to. Has to be and this way. You know, it has to be more fog. Which plays into the whole. You got to roll with things. Like things don't always work out the right way. So you got to make it work. Yeah, <clears> and then like there's the and then what's playing out is that um when um Peter Dinklage Tito he makes like two passes around her and has to stop on a mark, and then that's where he's supposed to laugh. Like I mentioned. Yeah. And so. Uh, you know, the focus pull will go up and he'll mark it on the floor, and that's where he's supposed to laugh. And then she's supposed, I think, take the apple from him. Um, but it's just, it's not They're working. not getting to that point. It's it, He's not feeling her. He's, Nick's not feeling that she's convincing that she really wants the apple. Um, yeah, it, actually, it doesn't look like a really good scene, to be honest. No, with it looks I ridiculous. Mean, um, it does look kind of ridiculous. Like, like, it's, like, the apple's not even, like, with, with, is not even, like, outside of her reach. Yeah. Like, she has to, like, short arm it, almost like a T-Rex arm it, just to, like, make it not look like she can actually grab the apple. Yeah. Like, they could have, like, framed that better. And maybe, maybe that's just me. I mean, it, it's, that's, it's that's not the purpose of the scene. I yeah. just noticed how ridiculous that is. Yeah. Whereas all the other stuff we've seen in the movie, all the fantasy stuff, like, looked like it could actually work. While this scene that they're filming for perhaps the actual reality, real movie, is the one that looks the most... Um, cheapest if you notice like the background is like cardboard and oh yeah the door he walks through like it's like i don't know like gonna fall off the thing that's the magic of movie making yeah it's like the magic of movies i'm like that that post-production better be interesting yeah it's got to be interesting Uh, um but but what happens yeah yeah finally he gets he's kind of done with it he 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 brings up the whole idea of of you know dwarves being used in dream scenes and how it's ridiculous and tells him off you know um and just leaves and quits Look, Tito, it's not that big of a deal. It's a dream. Strange things happen in a dream. All I want you to do is laugh. Why is that such a problem for you? Why does it have to be a dwarf? What? Why does my character have to be a dwarf? It doesn't have to be a dwarf. (laughs) Then why is he? Is that the only way you can make this a dream? Put a dwarf in it? No, Tito. Have you ever had a dream with a dwarf in it? Do you know anyone who's had a dream with a dwarf in it? No! I don't even have dreams with dwarves in them. The only place I've seen dwarves in dreams is in stupid movies like this. Oh, make it weird, put a dwarf in it. Everyone will go, whoa, 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 it must be a fucking dream, there's a fucking dwarf in it. Well, I'm sick of it. You can take this dream sequence and shove it up your ass. Um, and yeah, are you skipping over the thing where the fog machine like falls oh, well, apart? Yeah, you're that, right. That was yeah. the last thing that happened before he quit. Yeah, I was gonna say you're that right. kind of that kind that that kind of what prompts Peter Dinklage. To yeah, quit that is what. Yeah, you're is, right. Is the fog machine like over Yeah, he overdoes it. it. Now he's like getting all fire. happy with it once he's figured it out. 
Yeah. yeah, he's really cranking it. Like he's yeah. he's basically dialed it up to eleven, like a cra- like a dumbass. Yeah. And, and and now you can't just, see nothing. You can't see anything. Yeah. And like they have to clear the set, clear the set, and randomly, who happens to show oh, up? Oh yeah, his mom is his the woman from the first scene, uh, act who was in that scene, but she's his mom. Yeah. And apparently she, I guess, escaped from, I guess, her, her assisted, assisted living, living yeah. uh, place, and she somehow ended up there. Well, well, what happened is that they they <clears throat> were going, They there's another scene they're going to shoot later on, but the director didn't have his notes for that scene. His notes were at his apartment, so, um, so they had to send someone to go get his notes, and apparently his mother was just waiting outside <laughs> of his place for yeah. him. So the guy was like, "Hey, I just brought her back here. She said she was your mom." Yeah. And it's like, and I think that's that's where I thought that's the same driver from that first act, yeah. that first dream it sequence. Is, yeah. That's where he popped up again. Yeah. And he, I, yeah, he's just like you Which, know the guy you you get to go like grab stuff and do stuff. Yeah, finding out you know, he's a runner yeah, basically. Yeah. Finding out that that the mom from the scene in the first act, which was from Nick's point of view, shows you that this whole script is is coming from a personal place for him. You know, he mm. used his own mom in his dream to play the mom in the movie. Right. Um, and so she's, you know, she's obviously got some kind of maybe dementia or some kind of something like that. Yeah, probably. You know, and um, so she's, you know, he tells her, you know, just sit back set, you know, back here, don't leave. And uh, she, of course, ends up walking on set in one shot. Um, and then they has to put her right behind the camera. And it's like, <laughs> don't leave here, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh... And that happens a lot, Stephen. I don't know if you know that, but that happens to me every single time I do anything ever with this podcast or with uh, YouTube, uh, filming my YouTube stuff. Um, people will start doing shit. Just, of course. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm like, I'm doing stuff. Um, uh, this happens all the time. It's like that scene where we talked about in um, The King of Comedy, Rupert yeah. Pumpkin, where he's in his basement. He's having his his, his dream of being on that show. Um uh, with and and his mom starts yelling at him in the basement. That happens to me quite often. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> quite often, <laughs> and it happened to Steve Buscemi's character in this movie, basically. Yeah. Um. So as Stephen was saying, uh, he get uh, uh, Tito gets fed up and he quits, and he's kind of like an important part of the scene. And what happens is the mother, I don't she know, just where it happened. She, she just decides to do it. Yeah, she just is like, look, I'll do this. Yeah, it's like, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. She's like, she just gets the apple, takes it from Catherine Keener, and uh, goes and closes Walks. the door, and she's like, I'm ready. Yep. All right. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and the thing is, is right, well, actually, right before that, when, when Tito quits, um, Nick has a moment where he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to quit. This movie's done. Like, I'm, I'm, I've tried everything. I've tried to roll with it, and I can't do this anymore. Um, and so Wolf tells uh, the focus puller to, to, to start packing up the camera so he pulls the camera off and in that moment that's when the mom does that and then now he can do his handheld style that he was saying that would be the best and they do the scene in one take handheld and it's perfect it's the way that it's the way they wanted it she hits the mark she does a maniacal laugh that's kind of frightening and then that's and then they nailed it yeah they got that one scene done cut and and print almost though They've got there's something that they've got to yeah, do right now. Yeah, they get that. the shots, but then before they're they're about to cut to go to the next thing, the sound man's like, wait, 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 wait a second. I have to get my standard thirty seconds of room noise. <laughs> yeah, 
and it's in this 30 seconds is it's kind of an eternity for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, after all that, if this gets screwed up, oh, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, so, but while that 30 seconds is happening, it bounces around to each, like, different character. And they all have this kind of, um, They're, I don't know, dream? They all, they all have, like, like visions of, like... Visions. Whether it has to do with the movie or it has to do with what they're going to do after work or whether it puts you in their heads for this moment of finally getting something done positively um and you know nick's thinking in his head he's already thinking this is the best movie ever like yeah. i'm gonna get an award for this award. year <laughs> and uh so and chad is giving him the award which is hilarious um and then it goes to uh nicole who's it seems that she's thinking about doing quitting, quitting. yeah um, she's like looking to get a job at a burger joint, like just like looks like a diner, yeah, yeah, like a like a, like a waitress or short order cook or something like that. Um, and Wolf Wolf is having a, a fantasy of Wa- uh, Wanda coming back to her, being like, "I'm sorry," and he's like yep. standing over, and she's like in this like white dress and like yeah, she's in the the wedding dress, yeah, 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 yeah. and he's just having this fantasy where she's just like crawling back to him. Yeah, the thing is that she's having a fantasy about sleeping with uh. <laughs> sleeping with Chad, with Chad. Yeah. <laughs> and him being like, I love how powerful you are. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, and then, uh, that, that lighting guy from, yeah, earlier, I think he's a, yeah, he's a key grip. He's a, yeah. yeah. And he's, um, he's dreaming about eating a cheeseburger, yeah, I, which, which honestly, I've had that dream many times. Yes, I was going to say, I can relate to this one. <laughs> um, and so then the clock and, and they cross cut it back to with like the stopwatch, like ticking down, like from, you know, the, top the top all the way down to 30 seconds like tick 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 yeah um it's and that's that's like you said that's pretty close to the end i mean they basically get the room noise and then they say it's they're good and then everybody just basically jumps back into work mode and to get ready for the next thing and then it cuts to black and that's it yeah that's it then you hear and as the credits roll you hear them working and moving on to get the next thing ready to, to go you know you, in, in, in filmmaking, a lot of times you don't have time to um, celebrate the victories. You have to move on to the next thing. Um, it, yeah, all of that was done just to get one scene. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it wasn't the whole movie. They, they didn't wrap principal photography. They didn't like yeah. do anything. Like, like they they accomplished probably like you know a small percentage of what that whole movie's probably going to be. But, but so much effort put that, into just that one moment. You know. Yeah all of that effort into that one moment and it's just like they do celebrate a little bit but as you said they have to you know calm down they have to calm down they uh, to get to move back on to, work, to the next yeah. one and so that's that's living in oblivion and i and honestly this was you know i i just recently watched this movie um and i picked it up from shout factory they have a release for it um on blu-ray and uh i'd heard about this movie from uh, a podcast i listened to which is uh critically acclaimed uh william bibiani and Whitney Seibold, uh, their their um, podcast, their ma- they talked about it at some point. I don't remember how it came up, but then I checked it out. It's amazing. I I, I love this movie. Um, it's honestly become one of my favorite movies about making movies. Um, after watching it a couple times, um, mm. I really enjoy because because a lot of times when when you get movies about making movies, they're these they're like lavish productions. They're these right. big movies. Uh, how this big musical got made. How this you know, big whatever got made. And it's like, that's cool. But these low budget, like 
kind of more closer to when I what I grew up through, you know, the '90s. That that movement connects more with me. Um, and well, yeah, it's it's um it's part of that that '90s independent cinema you kind know, of genre, re- resurgence, yeah, you know, movement, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it's it's an underrated gem, I would say, because I didn't know about it until Stephen brought it up to me. And yeah, I think it's great. I think it's well worth watching for those of you out there who've never heard of it for those of you out there who are interested in movies about movie making because that's kind of a subgenre in and of itself yeah. there have been many many movies so many ones that many of you have probably seen before i mean the list goes on and on if you want to google it but it's it's really kind of never-ending and they go back they go back decades um and it's kind of it's kind of always i initially thought it was kind of weird to see uh, movies about movie making, you know, kind of like movies within movies, if you will. Yeah. It's almost like an Inception type thing, uh, like a dream within a dream. But it kind of works. If anything, it's it's very meta, yeah. if you will. Especially if it's commentating, if it's commenting on the process and commenting on, you know, uh, just uh, the movie the movie making world. Like if it's commenting on Hollywood and how, like the player. Yeah, you know something like that, you know that 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 something that's not even like that's criticizing movie making or criticizing yeah. the movie making industry through through making a movie within a movie. I think it's fascinating. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. It's ingenious. Um, yeah. So it, I, I I dug it a lot. Cool, cool. Well, I think we've made it to the end. Please let us know um, what you guys think of it. Leave it in the comments. Um, what you if you've seen this and what you think of it, and uh, let us know if this is the first time you see it and if you love it, uh, or if you hate it. Who you, know, you might hate it. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got a movie. Yes, yeah, now we now now of... we're going to talk about what the next episode is going to be, and and so Andrew, I told Andrew I gave him the episode. I know he wasn't know, thinking about Sarah. it probably much, but um, I need him to give me something so we can let the audience know what next week's going to be. Okay. Have you ever? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie you've never sure, seen. Sure, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Have you ever seen Marty? Yes, with with, Mar- with um, Rooney, Ernest Borgnine, or, or Borgnine. I don't know why I said Mickey yeah. Rooney. Kind of really want to talk about that movie sure. and how, why I think it's amazing. Um, Nineteen fifty-five, directed by Delbert Mann, starring the late Ernest Borgnine, and it's a movie I think is extremely contemporary in its themes, and it's not a long movie. It's similar to. Um, you know, it's ninety minutes, similar to Living, Living in Oblivion, yeah. but I think it's I think it's an important movie. Okay, and I think it's a good movie. So I kind of want to talk about Marty next time. Okay, well, you know, next we're going from nineteen ninety five to nineteen fifty five. Yeah, so yeah, we're gonna go back uh, fifty years, um, forty forty years. years. Yeah, I can't do math. Um, I know. So I don't, I normally can't do it either, but I whip that one out of nowhere. <laughs> well, oh. that's gonna be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Um, if you didn't hear. The beginning, I have this is going to be the what we do from now on. We're going to be doing these what we used to call spotlights, or will just be the the normal thing. So, um, thank you guys for listening. Where can, where can we find you, Andrew? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project. Also on uh, Letterboxd, I always kind of post the. You know, you can keep up with what I'm watching uh, at Cinema Discov. Uh, I don't think I, I, I think it's just Cinema Discovery is uh, where I'm at on Letterboxd. And um, that will be it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will. <laughs>